Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today, I'm joined by Janifa Murphy. Janifa has served as Udemy's Chief Marketing Officer since July 2023. Prior to joining Udemy, Janifa most recently served as CMO at F5, helping the company to expand its market share and reach into international markets. Before F5, she served in senior marketing roles, including CMO at Microfocus, a multi-billion dollar software company, now part of OpenText, and HPE, where she spent 10 years in numerous consulting, product, marketing, and go-to-market positions. Janifa holds a PhD in user acceptance of new technology and a Bachelor of Science with Honors in Business IT from Swansea University. In this episode, we chatted about when to think of our customers as advocates. And, spoiler alert, it's a lot earlier than most people think. Usually we wait months or even years before we start trying to turn our customers into advocates. We wait until we think they've had a huge level of success before we ask them to go to bat for us. That seemingly makes sense, but Janifa believes this is a missed opportunity. By building advocates right from the start, we'll have more marketing material to work with and happier customers. Janifa talks about how to engage our customers earlier, the massive missed opportunities that happen when you don't, and why advocacy should truly be a two-way street. Jennifer, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So amazing to have you here. Uh, I am so glad to be here. One of my favorite topics. So today we're going to be talking about our customers and when we can think of them as advocates, or maybe when we should be thinking of them as advocates. Because uh, I think so many of us have this, this apprehension to engage customers too early and we think we need to do it a lot later on uh, and you feel like that's a really big miss and we're, we're going to get into that but maybe the first place to start is just how you in your mind define an advocate and I don't know maybe how that differs from how a lot of other people define advocates. You know it's a little bit like when you look at uh, things like social media metrics and you look at the difference between just sort of tracking you know posts and looking at engagements. To me an advocate is someone who is willing to put a bit of skin in the game, right? It's someone who is willing to engage with you. It's someone who is willing to be flexible. They're not doing it because you wrote it into the contract. They're doing it because they genuinely want a partnership with you, right? So a great example, we had our, uh, here at Udemy, we had our virtual forward event, which is our annual learners and leaders event. Last minute, one of our speakers had to pull out Uh, for a really good reason. But he was so great at coming to the team and saying, hey, I had to pull out, but here's what we could do alternative. That's an advocate, someone who's a partner with you, someone who's putting skin in the game, someone who who realizes the joint value that you can deliver together, someone who really engages. I, I love that definition because it's so open. Because I think a lot of times when we think about advocates, the reason why we don't want to engage them earlier. Uh, I think as often just we think it has to be this huge lift, right? Like we think we have to start off with them flying to a conference of ours and speaking. And it's like, no, no, no. You can engage with people in different ways and ways that make sense to them. Uh, and that's why I really love your, your definition of just it's somebody who's willing to put even at least a little bit of skin in the game. And and why do you think that's so important early on to, for have, to have your customers putting skin in the game and not just you? It makes it personal. Right. It makes it less of a transaction, more of a partnership. And that's what you want at the end of the day, because you want give and take. You're never going to be able to write everything into your contract. So I think you want to have that customer who is willing to put themselves on the line as well. 
uh, and, and sort of be able to have that, that give and take partnership. Geneva's advice for having customers putting themselves on the line is interesting because in a lot of ways, they're already putting themselves on the line by purchasing our solutions, at least if we have a reasonably high price point product. If it doesn't work out, it often falls on them. But that's all the more reason to get them invested early on. Customers who, early on in the process, think of this relationship as a partnership and know that the stakes are high, they're gonna be a lot more likely to invest the necessary resources into making sure they're successful with our products. No one wants a one-sided relationship. <laughs> you know, when it, even if you think about your personal life, no one wants to be in a one-sided relationship. So why would you want that when you're looking at, you know, professional? And like you said, like a lot of the times as vendors, we're selling to these customers and the customers are putting their jobs on the line. They're risking their reputation. And so for them, you know, just like it's our job to make sure that they're successful, for them as well, you would think that they would want skin in the game to make it successful, to protect, you know, their professional reputation. Yeah. So often, as I mentioned at the start of this conversation, we think of when we can engage our customers as advocates as like, we have to reach certain arbitrary big thresholds, right? Like they need this like eye popping numbers. I've heard some people say like, you need to wait until they renew, which I'm like, that's like a year or two years sometimes. Why do you think it's such a big miss to wait that long before you start engaging your customers as advocates? I mean, you're just missing a whole part of the story, a whole part of the narrative. I mean, just like any type of marketing, you should think about it as a life cycle. I mean, just think about what, why, why do we all stress so much about creating customer advocates and having that case study and that ROI? Well, it's because we want to use those advocates to advocate for us to prospects so that we can sell more, right? I mean, let's face it, when the person who is purchasing a solution they have to build a business case. They have to build their narrative of why am I placing this bet? So engaging your customers early to be like, well, hey, can you share with us? Why did you pick us? Like, what are you trying to get out of it? Maybe that can help somebody else when they're making their decision, when they're making their business case. So I think there's points in time Throughout the entire journey, you know, why did you pick us? What's your plan for the first 30 days? It's a bit like a job. You know, when you go and start a new job, it's like, okay, what's your 30, 60, 90 day plan? You can have exactly the same type of conversation with a customer about being an advocate. And the start point could be a simple quote, could be a quick five minute video. And eventually, yeah, you work your way up to the time commitment of, you know, coming and doing a case study or coming to be a speaker at an event. So, I think you've got to really look at it like a life cycle. And I think it's critically important because at each point there's value that the customer can can give to be able to, you know, use that in your further marketing efforts. When you mentioned how we're missing such an important part of the story, and that's so important for our sellers, right? Because they're a lot of times they have people who are bought into this, but then they have to sell it to higher ups and to have those proof points around, okay, how did you sell this to your executive team? How did you sell this to the board? Whatever it might be. It's it's such a huge part. And what happens when we wait is like a lot of times we want to wait a year and a half until they have these huge results. But often the person who brought us in is gone by that point, right? And we've, we've totally lost this part of the story. So I, I love this idea that it doesn't have to be this big lift. Yeah, and everyone's like moving so fast that they've moved on to another project. They're moving on to another phase in the life cycle. So like even me, right, you know, I have to advocate to purchase solutions as a CMO and to do partnerships. I have to build my business case 
being able to speak to others who have built that business. Hey, what pushback did you get? What pushback did you get from your peers? What pushback did you get from your board? Talk me through the process. And it doesn't have to, it could It could literally just be, hey, are they going to sign up to, be, to do a five-minute conversation with someone? Like, start there. You know, most people, if you ask them at the start of a relationship, hey, would you be willing to maybe do a 20-minute call with someone? Yeah, okay. Ask them, would you be willing to spend three hours working with me on a case study and building out an ROI model and, you know, doing a video and bringing your whole team? I've got other things to do because, you know, the piece of software that I just bought from you, I now have to implement it. And, you know, I, so I, I so often get asked, I mean, doing customer stories uh, all the time, like I get asked, like, when's the right time to ask people for customer stories? And like, so often, like I said, it goes back to people thinking about we need these results. But my rule of thumb is ask people when they're happiest. And I think that applies to all parts of advocacy. And we forget that a lot of times our customers are happiest right when they've bought, right? Like they, ha- they're, they're very excited. They know why they bought. They have this vision for what they want to do. And that's very different from a, we saved a million dollars with your solution story. And I'm not saying to not do those stories, but you can create really compelling pieces of marketing material with customers really early on because they're just so happy and you miss out on so much of that. And like you said, it can just be a quote. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be a quote. And, and also that's inspiring, right? That's inspiring when when you are on the receiving end of, you know, somebody sharing the joy that they've got a project through that's going to help their team, that's going to help their business, that's helping them achieve their long-term vision. That's inspiring. And everyone wants to do that. So I completely agree. I think, you know, start it soon. Start it when they're happy. They're probably no happier than... Maybe not when they've just signed the contract because they're like, you know, I never want to see this contract again because I've had put so much work into it. But, you know, a couple of days after it's settled in, you know, go, go and go and reach out to them. But it comes down to as well, you can't ask your customer to be an advocate if you're also not willing to put in the effort for them. So if they need something from you in terms of you helping them build their business case, you helping them advocate internally, you helping them craft their story you have to give you know above and beyond i think what the sort of normal selling process is as well if you want to expect that in return who is often doing that initial above and beyond i mean i don't imagine it's salespeople, but do you find it's really helpful to bring in csms and the marketing team into those early stage conversations 100 percent, 100 percent. so right now for example you know I, i'm going through a process with a uh, a prospect and our csm and actually our professional services team are right there from the beginning right because one it helps them understand what the customer's looking for what how are they defining success which means that they're going to be able to be more successful later on when they take over the account that's a must and too often you know, people look at it in silos. Well, this is the sales piece. And then this is when it gets handed over to a CSM. If you've got the capacity to bring the CSM in, bring marketing in, right, when you're ready. There's another prospect we're working with right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm just listening in on the calls, right? My team are just listening in on the calls. But it means that later on, when hopefully that customer gets deployed, there's less questions I like me and my team now have to ask. Because we were listening into the thought process and the decision making as it was happening. 
And and out of curiosity, are you using something like Gong to do that? Are you actually sitting in on the calls? Like, what does that look like? A combination. We've got a combination. Yeah. So we've got call recordings with Gong, um, and then also as well, it's just you know use Zoom and record the call, and you know make sure you get permission. Look at the transcript afterwards and see what nuggets come out. And are you doing that with every customer? Ideally, or are you just are you focusing on really you know big name logos? We're picking the ones that are specific to campaigns that we're trying to run. So, for example, one of the ones is around our um, Leadership Academy, right? Because that's a a newer solution. It's an add-on. It's a different type of selling motion. Um, So we know that even for our sales team to learn about the buying process will be really beneficial, right? So that notion of, hey, a customer reference, a customer advocate isn't just once you've made the sale, it can even be beforehand. So now we can use some of that content to be able to say, well, hey, listen, these are some of the discussions that were had. These were some of the objections. These were some of the the ways in which we carved the narrative together with the customer. That can help you when you're trying to do enablement, as an example. I I love that because you're you're flagging stuff really early on to make your life easier later on. And like, you know, so, so often we're trying to come up with marketing material that speaks to a particular stuff. We don't, we don't have enough financial services, customer stories and talking points. And we, we scramble and we go to the sales team and they don't have anybody. But if you can start looking now, like, okay, what are new customers that we're onboarding? One, like you said, you can start getting these nuggets now, but then you can also flag this for later on and watch them grow and evolve. And then that's maybe when they're ready for like a big, you know, splash uh, type marketing initiative. So I love that idea of starting early on to make your life easier later. Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. And then like one of the uh, one of our commercial reps, right, he sent me the sort of POC package that he gave to the customer. I'm like, wow, that's great. Because, you know, when when that becomes a win, that's half of your job as a reference already done. <laughs> but we don't connect the dots sometimes. Like we're like sales do your thing, marketing do your thing. But I think that notion of we're, we're all in it for the customer and we should be engaged at each stage together to get the customer the best outcome and then to maximize efficiency for the collective you know, vendor team. So why do you think people wait so long to start engaging customers as advocates? Like, are we just afraid to ask? Like, what, what's motivating us to wait so long? I think it's fear. I, I honestly think it's fear. It's like, well, if I'm going to ask them to be an advocate, is that going to interrupt my deal? If I ask them to be an advocate, then is that going to slow something down? You know, if I ask them to be an advocate, have I asked them for too much? Right. So I think there's a whole I think fear. Fear is is the general is the general issue that that we have. This fear Janif is talking about stems from a misunderstanding of advocacy. If you think of advocacy as this one sided activity, it's just your customers doing something for you, then yes, I understand that fear. You don't want to overburden them. But that's not what good customer relationships look like. Ideally, you understand what the customer is looking to do for their personal brand or their company, and then try to tailor your asks to that. Natalie Gallette, formerly at HubSpot, was on the show in episode 16, talking about how to do this properly, if you want to check that out. Thinking of advocacy as a true partnership hopefully can dispel some of that fear. But this process begins by having those conversations with our customers, understanding their needs, and not being afraid to ask. If you never ask, you don't know. 
I mean, I've had so many cases where, you know, we've sold deals and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the rep will come to me and we'll be like, oh, hey, uh, Jennifer, this person wants to grow their career and wants to have speaking opportunities. Could we do something with them? Well, like, what? why, why wouldn't we have asked that at the beginning? Like, make a personal connection with your customer. Like, if you're going to be a partner, you have to make a personal connection. Get to know them. Understand what's motivating them. Like, why are they even purchasing this piece of software or services in the first place? Clearly, they're trying to like improve operational efficiency. They're trying to improve their team engagement. They're trying to make themselves more effective. Maybe they're going for a promotion. So I think that notion of getting to know your customer sooner and just, just asking the question. Like, what's the worst that they're gonna say? No? Okay. <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll ask you later. <laughs> And and so so often we when we're siloed in organizations, it there are gatekeepers stopping us in marketing from getting to these customers. And like like we just said, like the sales is like, ah, oh, is this, is this going to ruin my deal? Uh, are we asking too much of them? How do you think about how to handle that? Maybe, maybe we can talk about sales folks in in particular because they are often the gatekeepers with this. Like, how do you? recommend approaching salespeople who might have that mindset of this is going to ruin the deal. We're asking too much. Like, how do you get them on your side with trying to get, turn customers into advocates earlier in the process? Well, I think it's, it's multiple pieces to it because often what happens and what I've seen before is marketing will go to sales and will say, Hey, can we get this customer to be an advocate? And then the sales and the customer say yes. And then a lot of the work ends up actually being put back onto the salesperson. Right. Like they're the ones who have to coordinate the meeting. They're the ones who are asked for like all of the deal information. Whereas I think, you know, if you can find a more systematic way to do that so that, you know, marketing is, is taking the bulk of that work and show them that, hey, listen, you'll be fully involved. You be as involved as you want to be, but we're going to do the heavy lifting. I think that's one part to it. But then I think it comes back to that word partnership again. You have to develop a rapport with your sales team. You know, you can't just randomly go and ask the salespeople, oh, I need, you know, quotes to be able to put on an earnings script or I need a customer to be able to speak at this event. What are you doing for sales throughout the rest of the year, throughout the rest of the time? You know, no one wants to be that person where, you know, you only call me up when you want something. <laughs> so so I think it's, it's that notion of just building the relationship and building the partnership uh, and taking a lot of the work as well so that, it's not too much of a heavy lift for the sales team. Well, and there's there's a couple interesting things that you mentioned there that I want to dive into. So one of them is making this valuable to sales. Like sales are so often the folks that come to marketing and like, hey, we really need assets on this. We really need assets on that. And I think we often have to you know, just kind of be blunt with sales folks and just be like, hey, we can deliver this to you, but I need you to help me find those customers in the first place, right? Like you're the ones who are connected to customers along with the CS teams, depending on your organization. Um, but like, I want to deliver this stuff to you, but I need your help early on and here's how we can get there. Um, and then I think the other thing that you said that really struck a chord with me is you position this to sales as we will do the heavy lifting. We will do the bulk of the work, but you can be as involved as you want to be. And I think that part is really key in my mind because Everybody has their different philosophies of how they want to be involved. Somebody like me, like if I intro you to somebody, BCC me, I don't want to be involved. You just, I make the intro, I walk away. But other people don't want that. Like they are very protective of the relationship. So they're like, no, 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 no. I want to be on every call. 
I want to be on every email thread. So I think positioning this as I want to follow your lead. I don't ever want to step on your toes or risk this relationship. We're still going to do the heavy lifting, but we're going to do it your way. I think that is a, a harder thing to say no to. And you, you get around this dynamic of you have to, everybody has different personalities and you're trying to balance everything. I feel like that's the door you open for people. Yeah, it is, right? Because you're exactly right. Everyone communicates differently. Everyone wants to be involved in different ways. Different sellers have different approaches. Um, so I think just that, that sense of collaboration is really important and that sense of personalization as well, that like we're not trying to put our customers through a machine. Like we're going to take the time and effort to tell the story because we want to tell the story in the best way. And that means we also want to tell your story in the best way and you should get to be the director of that story yeah and, and so do you think that there that this idea of engaging your customers earlier on as advocates do you think this works across the board like do you think that there's basically every industry vertical i mean maybe we'll fit it within the the b2b space but do you think that this is really something that can be done everywhere to varying degrees because I, I feel like some people are like uh, well, you know, our product is this huge thing that takes a ton of ramp up. We can't engage people early on. And that's probably not true. But do you think that it's it really is applicable almost everywhere? I think it can, right? I mean, the, the unique thing about Udemy is we have a D2C and a B2B business. And if I think about it, just pause for a moment. I, I genuinely think it can if you break it down into the different like modules, like, hey, this is just going to be a quote. This is going to be a case study. This is going to be a video. Um, this is going to be just marketing, putting something out there and asking people to self-select versus this is going to be written into a contract and it's going to be part of an agreement that we do. Um, because that's the other thing as well, is sometimes, you know, you, you put like, and the Udemy team have done this, which is great, you know, just put something out there on social and been like, hey, do you want to hand raise for sharing your own story? Right. You just want to tell it. Tell us why you love Udemy. Right. Tell us why you engage with Udemy. And some people will self-select and they don't have to go through all the rigmarole, especially with large enterprise of like the legal approvals and everything, you know, because they're just giving you a quote or they're just, you know, speaking personally. They're not speaking on behalf of the company, as an example. And that's the other thing, I think, distinguishing between are you trying to get uh, a quote or an advocate in the person or in the brand that you have sold to? Because those are two potentially different things. And do you have any advice on what to focus on? I think it's easier probably to get the person to advocate because they're, especially in larger companies, because there are less hoops that they have to go through versus starting with trying to get the brand as an advocate. Right? And you still get the benefit from it because at the end of the day, people buy from people. So it's a person's individual capital, I think matters, maybe not just as much, but matters a lot as well as the brand capital of the company that they work for. And in some cases, it may even actually matter more. Well, and, and people buy from people, but they also relate to people. Like I can't relate to a company. I can, I mean, I can kind of wrap my head around the things they're going through and maybe it's similar, but 
I can relate to the other person who's in my role at that company. And like, I know what they're going yeah. through. And maybe when, when you talk about, you know, it, it may be easier to do one thing versus another. I don't think it always has to be an either or maybe it's like you build up to the brand side, but maybe that's also just something you're having. You're discovering early on in these conversations is like, Hey, how much flexibility do you have with your advocacy? Can you do an endorsement on behalf of the brand and you don't have to do any legal sign off? Is it a lot of hoops? And then maybe that helps you start to frame the type of asks that you yep. give to these people. Yeah, that's it. And then you send, you, you almost, it's like you create these different um, advocacy nurture paths that you can take people down. Because that's the other thing I think that the other reason is a lot of the times people don't want to ask, not just because of fear, but they don't want to ask because they perceive that the lift is going to be too heavy. Like, I don't have capacity to write a massive case study. I don't have the budget to do a massive video. But maybe you do have the budget and the capacity to do a 20-minute call and collect five quotes. So I think that's the other thing that holds people back too. Yeah, I think, I think it's just like the salespeople, letting them know you are going to take as much of the lift off as possible, but doing it in a way that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And you, you talk about these different, you know, potential advocacy nurture paths, which I think is an interesting way to think of this. When, when you're talking about these different asks that you can make, and we think about making them early on, I've heard different people on this show and just, you know, talking to industry peers, think about acts of advocacy in different ways. So some people think of it as these sort of stepping stones where you start off with something that's really, really low lift, and then you build up to these bigger things like speaking at an event. And then I've heard other people think of this as you need to change it up. Like I've heard it, I think it was Jane Menu from Gong when I had her on the show talked about high calorie versus low calorie asks, and you want to kind of change them up so that you're not building up and getting this fatigue. Like, do you, do you think there's a, a right or wrong way to, to do it? Like, do you build up or do you kind of alternate uh, how big of an ask these are throughout that life cycle? I think different, different customers, you should have multiple nurture paths running at, in parallel. Right. I mean, I think definitely I agree with the notion of mixing it up. So I think and, and it goes back to understanding what someone's appetite is. If you've got someone who's ready to be a speaker, get them on a webinar straight away. Right. If, if they're a good speaker, they're ready, they're willing, they've got a good story to tell. Why wait? Get them into the, you know, the webinar path. Right. They're, they're the they're the high calorie, high, you know, high focus, high, high effort, probably, you know, could be high effort. But they go down that path. If you've got someone else who's like a mm, little bit hesitant, maybe not. Hey, they're just the give me one quote path. And that's OK. And then they, you know, you put them down a path and you're like, hey, but here's what we're going to build to. And then you can go the other way with the other person. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's mix and match. It's running multiple in parallel. It's definitely not a one size fits all. If you try and do a one size fits all, your team will be burnt out. And I think you will get way less output than you want or need. And you, you said something really interesting there. Do you tend to let people know what this path is like and what you're trying to build towards? Or do you keep that for your team only? Oh, no, 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 definitely. I think you've got to set the seed, right? You've got to set expectations. Because then as well, you know, because if you don't tell people what the potential path is, what the end goal is, right, then you can't judge. You might end up putting a whole ton of time in and they might be like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I'm never going to do that. I, I don't want to be a speaker. I don't enjoy being a speaker. I don't want to be a webinar. Uh, I don't have permission to do a case study. So yeah, tell them the end goal and then work it back. And also if you ask for something bigger, but then you sort of work back to starting with something smaller, 
it feels a little bit more digestible. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes for a lot easier. Okay, I don't have to do this big thing. You just want to do this little thing? Yeah, okay. You don't want me to fly out there and like come and be a speaker and like spend four hours doing prep and everything else. You just want me to like turn up and, you know, do a podcast with you or you want me to come on a webinar with you. Okay, I can manage that. I'll be on a panel. Oh, panels. Panels are a great one because panels, so much easier. So, I mean, yes, you've got to prep for a panel, but I think those are a great way to get real anecdotes that you can, you know, then use over and over again. I think panels are are really good because often they feel like a lot less prep as well than having to prep for a webinar or a presentation. Yeah, I was going to say, being on a panel, I, I've always felt there's so much less pressure because you're like, yeah, it's not just me up there. And if I screw up, there's exactly. nobody to save me. There's, there's five other people up here. Yeah. And then the other thing is, if you are going to ask someone to come and present, like, just think about it. I'm different, right? Because I'm a CMO. So I spend half of my life in, uh, you know, PowerPoint and creating decks and, uh, you know, Google Slides. But if you're asking, I don't know, a head of IT to come and present for you, well, They don't build presentations every day. So think about how are you going to help them do that as well, right? Because otherwise, now you've just stressed them out. You're like, hang on, I have to come up with the story, and now I have to build a deck which is keynote worthy. If you don't do that every day, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and you can really help build people up too. Like you can make people, you know, have presentation skills they didn't know they had by just putting together like a really slick deck for them. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I, I love that, that notion of, you said the, the magic word skill, right? Because I think, um, you know, that's what we, we love a good skill at Udemy. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's helping people, you know, not just develop their professional persona, but developing new skills that maybe they want to be able to flex. They want to be able to learn, um, but they don't get the opportunity to in their everyday jobs. If I'm a marketer and I'm at a company where we don't do this, we don't engage our customers really early on, but I, you've, you've convinced me, I, I think that we need to start doing this. What are the steps that we should start to take? Like, how, how do we broach this? Like, what are the teams we need to get involved? Like, what are the types of those low lift asks we can start working into people? Like, what, what, what should this tactically look like in the early days if you're trying to shift to this model? Yeah, so I think you've got some decisions to make. So first of all, do you go after sales or do you go after customer success? I would go after customer success to start with because sales, not that customer success is not stressful, but sales, it's like, it's super stressful, right? You're trying to close the deal. They've got a lot of different things, you know, on their plate. Customer success, they know the customer. They can probably give you a lot of the information um, themselves as well. And the customer's probably a little bit you know, down their journey. So you've got something that you can go talk to them about. So first of all, go find out who your customer success team is. Go make best friends with them. Go find someone in the customer success team who, you know, wants to go above and beyond, right? Wants to be that partner with you. I think the second thing is you've got to figure out who's going to own this in your team. Are you going to have a dedicated, you know, customer story writer And actually, what are the skills that that person needs? Because I found that actually some of the best people in that role are either the people who are really good at relationships or journalists. People who have that type of headline catching ability, you know, to listen to a story and pick out the most pertinent points. Sometimes, you know, we think, oh, 
the customer success person or the customer advocacy person maybe comes from the product marketing side of the house. And, and that can work for sure. But I think, yeah, definitely looking for someone who's got that comms, journalistic, media type background, I think will actually end up with probably stronger stories because that's what their functional skill and expertise is. So go make best buddies with your customer success team. Think about who's going to own it and think about the skills that they need. Specifically, it should be, you know, copywriting, journalistic, somebody who has the ability to get the other person to talk, right, and bring bring that personality, that relationship out, and then prioritize. Where do you want to start? Right? What what's what's most important to your business, to your team right now? Because then there's nothing worse than creating a case study and being like, da-da, we've got a case study. And sales are like, we've already got like five of them. Or that's not how I'm positioning it. Or that's not a problem that is coming up. So I think prioritizing where you're going to focus, which segment, which type of customer, which type of persona, and which problem that you're going to go after. Those are the three things that I would think about. And, and you've kind of mentioned them briefly in passing, but what are some of those easy low lift asks that you often like to ask of these customers in those early days before, you know, we've gotten too far down the path of building this relationship? Like you mentioned, like, hey, can we hop on a call that's 20 minutes just so I can get some quotes? Like, what are other examples of low lift, low lift acts of advocacy? Yeah, I think um, I think the social one is a great one. Uh, I've done this in multiple companies and it, it worked so well. Just putting a survey out there. Um, one time we did it associated with Valentine's Day and it was like, hey, give us a quote about why you love your technical account manager. And literally within, and we offered like, a, I think like a $50 gift card. And within, I don't know, something like 14 hours, we had 40 or 50 quotes about why like they love their technical account manager. Now, that's a much easier thing for someone to do going back to people buy from people. If we would have asked, why do you love company X? That would have been a lot harder. But relating it to someone who they work with every day made it a lot easier and a lot sort of just more relatable. So, I think use social to your advantage. Like it doesn't always have to be, it can be a quick 20 minute call. It can be a quick survey, whip it up in type form, survey monkey, whatever you want to do, super easy. You can have a, a small incentive uh, if you're allowed to do that and if customers are allowed to take it uh, and you'll end up getting a whole bunch of quotes that you can use in white papers, data sheets, presentation decks. Um, and also it just inspires the internal team. Yeah. Like when the internal team see, wow, like this many customers in that short space of time were willing to say something nice about us and the company that I work for, that's pretty cool. And I imagine those technical managers probably felt pretty good on Valentine's Day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> it was so cool. And it was so, it was, it was inspiring to read. Like we sent them out to everybody as well so that everybody else could read them. I mean, there's so much work that employee teams do around recognition. I mean, what's better than getting recognition from a customer who you work with all the time? Is there anything around this topic that we haven't touched on already that you think would be good to get in here for the listeners? Get started. 
that is it. Just get started. <laughs> Don't be afraid to get started. I feel like that. Don't be afraid. Get started. Make best friends with your CSM. And don't be afraid to start small as well. Start small and build up. So the wrap-up question I ask to everybody, if you could give the listeners at home one piece of advice to make them more customer-centric, what's one small thing that they can do to get on that path? Go and have a call with a customer. Go and set up a call with a customer, not even to try and get them to be a reference. Just go and listen to them and understand why they're doing what they're doing, get inside their minds. I think just if you can do that without any desire to get anything out of it, just say, hey, can I listen into a call with your salesperson or your CSM and just start to understand your customer and their motivations better. I love that. And anything in particular, if you're looking to try to turn customers into advocates earlier is like, like you said before, I mean, start with those customers who just signed up, who who just onboarded, who have just signed. Like those are probably great people to start yep. having those conversations with. Yeah, start there. Uh, think about incentives and incentives don't always have to be big. And think about incentives that you can give, not necessarily to the person you're asking to be an advocate, but maybe to that person's team, right? So we always think about, oh, well, you, you were a reference, so I'm going to send you a gift basket or I'm going to do something for you. But that person in a lot of cases, has a team and they need to motivate that team. So how can you pass it forward to their team, which makes it better for them as well? Absolutely. Jennifer, this, this was amazing. I, I love how non-intimidating you made this intimidating thing sound. <laughs> uh, just just get started. Don't be afraid to ask. Build up. I think there's a lot of things that are hopefully going to make people more confident to do this. Uh, this. This was an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait months and months or years like some people are waiting to build relationships with customers and start them on this advocacy journey. It can start at the beginning. And it doesn't need to be intimidating. We can start with really simple asks. We need the material to understand why customers chose us. And we need that now, not months from now. By waiting too long, we're missing out on valuable content, and more importantly, as Janifa has demonstrated, we're missing out on the chance to start building these valuable relationships with our customers. Sometimes good things come to those who wait, but other times good things come to those who go after what they want. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, what are you waiting for? I just said that waiting is bad. <laughs>